and welcome to the Neurodivergence and Mental Health Podcast. My name is Sally Nilsson and I'm a psychotherapist, published author, public speaker and mum. I discovered my autism and ADHD aged 56 in March 2021 and having rewritten my life story, I'm on a quest to advocate for neurodivergent community. I hope you enjoy listening to my incredible guests sharing their experiences of autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, Tourette's and OCD. We talk about growing up, education, work and personal stories and how mental health has played its part in shaping lives. Our conversations cover spectrums, traits, challenges, acceptance and successes. So sit back, relax and find out what it means to feel, think and be different in a neurotypical world. Hello and welcome to the Neurodivergence and Mental Health podcast and I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Templeton and I've well, I've discovered Sarah from lots of different places, really. Um, but one of them was uh, from the work that she does, which, of course, we're going to talk about today on the podcast. But she's such a busy person and she's a fantastic advocate for the ADHD and neurodivergence community as a whole. We've got lots to talk about, so I'm going to crack on. Hello, Sarah. Great to see you. I'm going to ask you if I may to just do a quick introduction, which is basically your name, roughly where you live. And what do you do within the neurodivergence community? Over to you. Okay, hi, and hello everybody. Um, My name is Sarah Templeton, and I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 51, nearly 52. So up until nearly 52, I had no idea that I had any neurodiversity whatsoever. Um, Then out of the blue, a counsellor said to me, has anybody ever suggested your ADHD? And I was like, no, why? thinking that ADHD was um, nine-year-old boys that chuck chairs at teachers. That really, really was as far as my knowledge went. And uh, at the time I was nearly 52, I was managing director of a nanny agency and in a 10-year marriage. And when she said to me, has anybody ever suggested your ADHD? I really was like, no, why? And she said, well, go home and Google it because I think you are. So in 2015, I was diagnosed with moderate to severe combined ADHD and in the next five years, I've gone on to be to, to discover and get myself diagnosed privately with uh, uh, these are crackers, these um, severe dyspraxia with one percent processing and one percent uh, m- m- get it out one percent processing and one percent motor skills. Uh, so I, I kind of thought I might have dyspraxia, but I didn't quite realize I would have one percent for processing and motor skills. Um, sensory processing disorder, which is no great surprise because I think most people with ADHD have got that or the vast majority. Um, and then the other one, I can never say it. I say it wrong. I say dyscalculia, but I know it's dyscalculia, uh, which is the reason I failed my 12 plus. And as to where I live, I live in High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire. Um, and what I do uh, with neurodiversity is I started off as a, I qualified as a counsellor in 2015. Then I did a year of CBT. um, So that brought me to 16. I set up in private practice at the beginning of 2016. Started off just myself with a website with one page on it saying I'm an ADHD. No, I am diagnosed ADHD myself. I didn't know if I'd ever meet another ADHD person in my life. Um, (laughs) I've gone from that seven years ago to now we've got 
um, about 55, I think we are at the moment, therapists wow. uh, all over the country. Yeah, it literally happened by accident. No, no great business plan of mine, honestly. No, no great entrepreneurial skills here. But I just kept getting loads and loads of clients. So I thought because of all these clients, I better start finding other therapists that are good. So I started off with my supervisor and my supervisor was the person who had been the counsellor who worked out it was ADHD. I asked her if she could be my supervisor and she said, I can, I just can't be your counsellor ever again. I said, that's fine. So she was my supervisor for five years and she taught me so much, that lady, absolutely phenomenal. So I started to refer clients to her initially, particularly couples, because I wasn't trained in couples and she was. So I started to send all the couples to her. Then I came across another lady in Wales uh, on a Facebook group somewhere. And, and I said, Do, would you like some clients? And she said, yes. And then it just kind of built to today. We are now approaching 60 therapists now, most counsellors, um, but a lot of coaches and counsellors combined. And then some people are, are, I say just coaches, I don't mean that negatively at all because they're phenomenal, but they are not counsellors, they are just coaches. So we're kind of providing ADHD services and ASD and also the comorbidities. I'm very passionate about the comorbidities because they get overlooked so much. So we work with clients UK wide. Well, no, actually, I can now say internationally. It used to be UK wide. In the last year, we started to get a lot of clients from abroad. So we've now got clients in Canada, Croatia, France. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Germany, Luxembourg, um, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore. So all these people just find us. And our unique selling point is that we are all diagnosed ADHD. And so, that's lovely and fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for telling me that. And, you know, I mean, I can't believe how much you've grown in such a short period of time. And I want to talk to you more about that and get the name of it and everything else a bit later on, Sarah. So, um, you know, just back to your um, conditions. I mean, you know, we call it what you want. So ADHD and um, uh, dyspraxia. Uh, yeah, dyspraxia. I, I call it dyscalculia, and I'm going to keep calling it dyscalculia. Oh, good, good, yeah. So um, I don't, I don't have a formal di diagnosis of dyspraxia and dyscalculia, uh, but what I do know is that they couldn't come up with an exam for maths, so I wouldn't fail. Um, <laughs> I found maths painful and impossible, mm. and as yeah. for dyspraxia or DCD, whatever you want to call mm. it, I spent my whole childhood with scabby knees. And in 2020, I broke both my ankles for no apparent reason. Oh. I bump into things. I chip all the plates and glasses and mugs. Tell us um, a little about how these conditions have affected you. These two, dyscalculia okay. and well, dyspraxia. Let's start with dyscalculia. Dyscalculia has ruined my life. It, it, it's not too, too strong a thing to say because I failed my 12 plus because of it. So yeah. when I was at school, <clears throat> I was quite bright. I was in the top third of my class. We were a class of just over 30. And when it came to the 12 plus, because it was all problems, because it was all Tom's got three green apples and four oh, red no, apples. No, 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 and John's no. got five bananas and three no, grapes. No. And Rosie's got three apples and three <laughs> How many shoes does Sarah wear? I was, oh, I don't give a monkey. <laughs> I just looked at these things and thought, I don't even care. I just don't care. <laughs> yeah. I'm not interested and I'm certainly not working it out. My brain just didn't work that way. So yeah. what happened was I failed that 12 plus, And before the results even came out, my headmaster, 
who knew I was bright, had appealed to the county. When the results came out, my mum then appealed to the county because everybody knew I should have passed. I was in the top third of the class and the top 50% had passed. You know, I was I was well in that top yeah. 15. Every 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 exams, I came sort of eight tenth out of 30. So wow. the top 15, top 15 of them passed and I failed. So what happened was they went to the county and the county looked at my uh, 12 plus and said, no, she has failed so spectacularly. That's their words. <laughs> yeah. So spectacularly, we can't put her through. So I was sent to, I'm going to be really polite here and say the stupid school. I don't mean the special needs school. It wasn't a special needs school. It was just a school for people who weren't interested in education. And I was. Yeah. I, was really, it brought, I loved learning. I was like a sponge, you know. Mm. So I get sent to this school where all the girls want to do is go out with boys and get pregnant at 13. Yeah. So I was not like that I was studying so in the first year I came top out of 130 in English and in maths because I could do maths so the headmistress without me knowing the headmistress rang my mother and said this child shouldn't be at this school I've got to replace at the grammar school she sent my mum the the list of um uh, school uniform and my mum couldn't afford it so I didn't even know that that had happened till I was 16 my mum didn't oh. tell me and I had just wasted four years being bored out of my skull you can imagine with ADHD yeah not stimulated at all um not getting maths hating I also had a horrible math teacher and a brilliant English teacher it was my English that makes all the difference doesn't it when you're 100% 100%. I completely respected my English teacher because she talked to me with respect Mm -hmm. and I got an A for English and an ungraded for maths because the maths teacher I thought she was rude. I thought she was ignorant. She was, she was, um, what's the word? She was, she was the least person-centered person. She just used to shout at you all the time. I had no respect for her. And so when I looked at the maths O level, I looked at it, I wrote my name in the date and thought, nah, sod you, love, I'm not even doing it. And I didn't even do my maths O level. I just didn't do it, name and the date. So I got ungraded, an A for English. So if anybody had been looking back then, and this is what makes me so angry now about schools and the education system, anybody looking at a child with so wildly differing grades as an A and a yes. U, somebody should have looked at that, that and thought, hello, there's something going on there. But they never did. So I kind of, uh, half of me blames my mother because she should have found the money for the uniform and put me in the grammar school. But I wasted four years and ended up getting four rubbishy O-levels um, because half of my teachers couldn't even take me to O-level. They could only teach me to CSE. It was that poor school. So I did get four O-levels, which was a minor miracle from a school like that. Didn't go to university, went to college. So I firmly believe my undiagnosed dyscalculia was responsible for screwing up my education from the age of 12. And that's why I'm now, I can't begin to tell you how passionate I am about kids getting the right diagnosis and not just that ADHD diagnosis. I think it's you got can, to be all, yeah, all the you, it is. It's got I'll to repeat, be. I'll just repeat that, that that experience is exactly the same as mine. And, um, and, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. Of course I didn't. And I didn't even have, I can't even remember if I had any feelings about it. I couldn't do maths and that was that. And I was absolutely mm. brilliant uh, at English. But how mm. about the dyspraxia side of it? Because I, I definitely know that I was never picked for teams. I love netball as long as I could be goal attack. And I, as long as I was under the net, I could get it in. But I, I never got picked for teams. And I was always falling over and bumping into. I was an well, I was a bit the opposite. Like, 
I was a bit the opposite. I was always picked for the netball team and I was always goal defence. And I, I, I swear, had I been diagnosed at the right age, I would have been diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder because I can have a fight with a paper bag if it looks at me the wrong way. Yeah. So when people used to come at me with that ball, they were not getting anywhere near my net because I was very much in charge of my net and I was, I was tall. So I was, you know, I fought like a dog to keep people away from my goalpost. So I was, I was goal defence for the school team for the whole four years. So my, my competitive nature is very, very strong. But going to the dyspraxia thing, um, I've, I have got it severely. And the signs of it looking back were that I was always very, very, very hard with my pens. I would always write very, uh, push very hard with my pencil. Oh, right. And so it would the, the, the print would always show at least two or three pages underneath, you know, which is why oh, I've also got... I've got perfectionism diagnosed with my ADHD, which is why I've started so many notepads, ruined it by pressing too hard on the top page, turned the page and thought, oh, that's ruined and thrown it away because I pressed too hard. So when I had my dyspraxia assessment, um, the sort of thing she got me to do was stand on one leg, which I fell over straight away. Oh, yeah. You know, can't do that. Not a home. Um, then she got me to make a cup of tea, which she videoed me doing. And I didn't, I didn't even I didn't think I was this bad, but I dropped the mug. I, I dropped the mug on the glass oh um, protector thing. I dropped the tea bags when they came out. And then when I played the video back afterwards, I thought, my God, even I can't believe I'm that heavy handed. Just yeah. making a cup of tea. It was clonk, 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 yeah. clonk. And then like you falling over, I always remember my very first day at school. I was so excited about going to school. I was five and I got my brand new red tights on and my, my red school uniform, which I loved at my first school. And I was skipping on the way to school because I was so excited, fell flat on my face. Yeah. Um, and ripped my red tights oh, on my no. first. I know, I know. <laughs> so my dyspraxia has been falling over. Nearly every first date I've been on, this is so embarrassing, nearly every first date I have fallen over on. I mean, how <laughs> well, get that out of the way. Get that embarrassing bit out of the way. I know, nearly every day I've fallen smack on my face. Um, yeah. I fall over a lot. I drop food down myself a ridiculous amount. Yeah. Um, I'm if you see you can see my hand other people can't you can yes. see that at the moment that's all the red marks where I hit it on the oven oh I've got gosh, three yes, three can. three red marks on my hand yeah, at yeah. the moment I broke my finger a couple of years ago kept going to the hospital and they said that every single person I saw at the hospital first question how did you do it I said I've no idea yeah. they said you must know I said no I've got ADHD I'm very inattentive I don't notice a lot of things and at this time I didn't know I'd got dyspraxia so I was constantly breaking bones and fingers and oh loads of things but I didn't know how because my ADHD and attention is really high. I don't notice loads of things. So I can break things, bruise things, damage things, have green lumps on my legs. No idea how I've done it. And so that's, that's, a, that's it, isn't combined, it? Yeah, with the bruising. Combined with the ADHD. Yeah, I mean, mm. I was always covered in bruises. And, yeah. and the other thing to chuck in as well is... Um, I mean, I only got diagnosed for both of mine, autism and ADHD, in March 21. And so I've done so much research. Wow. Wow. But, um, mm. you know, with all the sensory stuff, I mean, I've, I'm very olfactory. I'm very, you know, I've, I've got auditory processing disorder. Um, it, it, light, you know, daylight, um, taste, um, you know, hot, spicy food, all sorts of things like that. Um, I, you know, I've read that you also have um, sensory, I don't like disorder, um, sensory processing differences whatever how does that yeah. manifest for you Sarah well I'm, I'm so glad I know I've got it now because it explains why three quarters of food I don't eat 
Um, I don't eat, for example, I don't eat raisins, currants, sultanas, anything like that. I don't eat prunes, anything that's wrinkly. It's never going near my mouth. Um, <laughs> th- things, things, oh, that are, um, <laughs> things that are uh, disgusting colour. For me, a disgusting colour. Avocado. I've looked at that. People keep saying, do you like avocado? I say, I have no idea, but it's never going near my mouth. I'll never know. I'm not yeah. putting green slush in my mouth. I'm no. sorry. So I'm very funny about things. How does it play out, though? When I was, this is a terrible thing to admit, but it's true. I have a particular hatred of people that talk in cinemas and theatres because as soon as they start talking, that's all I can hear. Yes, and I, yeah. I love going to the theatre. I used to act a lot myself. I'm a, yeah. And I used to be a theatre reviewer for five years for local newspapers. Oh. I'm a big theatre goer, you know, yeah. and I know my theatre and yeah. I like to concentrate and any person talking drives me insane but years ago um I don't didn't this was I was in my 20s this was you know 25 years before I was diagnosed ADHD there was somebody in front of me in a cinema who was talking 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 I kept going doing all my normal you know for goodness sake I wish people would shut up yeah and it wasn't working and impulsively this is probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done I had no idea I was going to do this there was no plan at all but suddenly I leant forward I picked the person up by their coat I pulled them out of their seat and I screamed in their face I won't scream what I screamed because it included a very rude swear word but it was (laughs) shut the up and then I threw them back down in their seat and when I sat down I was like oh my god I I, I genuinely didn't know I was going to do that but what did they do they they shut up they didn't say another word for the whole of the rest of the film but I was almost scared of myself because I just hadn't got that was not planned there was no thought it just happened it's and, a big trigger it's a really yeah, big trigger something yeah. like that well I can't stand it yeah. when you um you can see people's phones in the dark because I go to the cinema yeah and if, I, if there's somebody in the front and I haven't had to do it yet but I always have popcorn because carbs sugar love it oh you have before. to I, I agree yeah I'll just start chucking it I, I, yeah. I'm waiting for the time that I'll do that so thanks for telling me that that's brilliant um, no you're not alone I've thought about taking a water pistol in to the cinema and actually spraying water at people oh, I've, never like done it. That. I've never done it but I, I'm with you I, I um, usually now what I do is just get up and move I just move somewhere well, else yeah because... we have to learn things don't yeah. we because we're telling our clients to do it. we're going to try and do it ourselves so yeah. um you know you've given me a little bit about growing up but really you know just to kind of focus on because you know we're a similar age really and we were at school and we had no idea about ourselves it wasn't invented then was it so no. um for you growing up just tell us a little bit about your childhood, you know, school and education. Well, you've told us about school and education roughly, but what sort of difficulties um, did you encounter, you know, in retrospect now, looking back, you know, now that you know what you know, especially what the teachers were like, you know, how did you get on with certain teachers? And well, that and, is, and were I, some I of them just really awful because you couldn't sit still or because yeah, of attention? I, for me, for me, there's a massive difference between my infant and junior school, which I loved, and my senior school, which I hated. Yeah. So at my infant and junior, all very good teachers bar one, we'll, we'll avoid her. The rest of them were very, very good teachers, taught you with respect, and we were very advanced. So, we, for example, we were doing gra- a third-year grammar school maths when we were 11. So they were wow. push, push, pushing us, you know. And I love that because I love learning. And I had great teachers. I was house captain. I was so happy at that school and so stretched and so appreciated and valued. It was yes. wonderful. Yeah. And then I went, and as I say, I had a very good headmaster because he's the one who appealed for me before the results were even out. Because, I, you know, I he respected me. I respected him. There was a lot of 
um, nourishment and nurturing at that school. We were yeah. all very well looked after, very cared about. They were passionate about us doing well. And I loved it. Then I got thrown into this school that was chock-a-block. <laughs> well, it was chock-a-block with a fair few ADHD people who got removed and sent to the special needs school. Yeah. Now I look back, I, I see these girls, you know, there's some girls that I thought were his- I thought at the time they were hysterically funny because they were the girls that would tell the headmistress, oh, fuck off, you know. And yeah. now I think, oh, my God, how can they say that? Because I was yeah. always a bit, I didn't want to be told off, you know. I, I had a very strong mother at home who would have really ripped into me if I'd have been given detention or anything. So I was always quite well behaved at school. And these girls who were just so, so um rude and irreverent to the teachers I thought they were hysterical which I now know is my ADHD you know I'm loving anybody being rude and and telling anybody to f off but all those girls were removed and sent to the special needs school what a shame Um, though because they were fun and I and I love them as well Uh, problem is though you put autism in there as well and uh and so I would see these people that were really big risk takers and all the makeup and the skirts up the bottom and I would I would just taken you know straight in like an arrow you've got to be my friend and and got bullied terribly about that did you get bullied at secondary school I did get bullied at secondary school yeah I did um because I was kind of this goody two-shoes who wanted to learn and be educated so of course the 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 girls who they, they they'd come from different schools to me I'd gone to this really lovely junior school they'd gone to rough as rough infant schools you know and they came in they were used to fighting they were used to going out with boys when they were 12 they were used to going to the youth club and drinking all that wasn't like that at all (laughs) but because I was so prim and I come from this very good junior school um I got I did get bullied and I got bullied badly when I was about 13 14 it was horrendous I was I was bullied so badly I was allowed out of school five minutes early to 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 run yes, I used to get out yeah. of that school and run like yeah. hell to get mm. away from them yeah. um I was one day I was sitting in science and a girl just put her hand on the back of my head you know in science she's have really high stools or we yeah, did yeah yeah she put her hand on the back of my head and she yanked me off and she yanked me backwards off the stool oh. and I ended up on the floor as I got up clambered up and got back on the stool we were in the back row so the teacher hadn't noticed I said to her I said what was that for and she looked and she went just because and it was that sort of school you know just terrible school so I I loathed and despised my secondary school and I became quite belligerent um I set up this thing at at that school they used to give badges to everybody you got deportment badges and you got badges for this badges for that badges for the other so me and a couple of other girls who I think are probably ADHD as well we set up this thing called the ABC which was the anti-badge campaign and (laughs) this this was the first of my campaigning and uh, we campaigned and our big moment came when one of our members Shirley was uh, presented with her prefect 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 badge on stage and she said in the name of the abc i pass this badge back it's meaningless i don't want it i love it so the anti-badge campaign um so i've I've been a campaigner since i was about 14 really um it's natural for us isn't it sarah and uh, yeah i mean i've always been a, a mini campaigner but i go on marches and i've i've helped refugees i've helped uh i've done dog poo campaigns i've written a book about something you know the underdog I can't and actually uh, I had a fantastic conversation with one of my other guests and and one of the uh, my one of my biggest traits for um, ADHD is rejection sensitivity dysphoria but it's not just my own rejection I can't bear, bear the suffering of others especially if it's unjust 
So it, it's kind of like that, you know. So um, what happened after secondary school? Did you go to college and what did you Well, study I had a very controlling there? mother um, and she didn't let me go and do my A-levels. I was accepted to do A-levels in drama, theatre, arts and English, which is what I really wanted to do. Uh, but my mother said, no, you're not doing that. You're going to college and training to be a secretary, which was the most stupid thing because I'm no secretary. Yeah. Anyway, I went to college and did that for a year. And then I went to work in London and I worked in London from 17 to 23 when I did loads of secretarial jobs, I worked in advertising, which was amazing. I had a brilliant job at McCann Erickson, which is one of the biggest advertising oh, yeah, agencies in the world. And I love that job. Um, but I screwed them all up because after I, I was nervous with, in every single job, I was nervous for the first three months. I didn't know what I was doing. Three to six months, I was happy and I was loving it. Six to nine months, I was bored, stupid. And I left at nine months, every single job, because I didn't know I was ADHD then. But I, yeah. once I'd got to learn it and knew it, I was like, well, what next? What next? So I kept leaving. And then at 23, four, I went to Australia for a year. And I did a year traveling, came back. And since that day, I've worked in recruitment. I've owned one well, of apart from the counselling I set up my own agency when I was 25 because I'd worked for two women who I knew I was better than uh, talk about ADHD traits of knowing best and wanting things your own way I knew oh, yeah. I was better than these women mm. and I was making them tens of thousands of pounds I thought sod this I'll do it myself so I set up my own agency when I was 25 and that still exists to this day it's still around I've got somebody running it for me now it's morphed now it's morphed into an agency that still recruit we recruit nannies a lot now because in the area I live nannies are very big but we also now recruit neurodivergent, oh, sorry, we recruit staff for neurodivergent people, yeah. mostly those who've been awarded access to work. So when people are awarded access to work and they get, um, they get what do they get? Bookkeepers, they get admin support, they get social media support and all this. We recruit the staff for them who, um, who understand neurodiversity. So we've gone into neurodiversity recruitment, basically, but that agency still does exist. Do you know, um, I, I think we're twins. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I um, I did secretarial after five O levels, went to, um, I, I, I took some retakes, they didn't work either. But I ended yeah. up in college, did my RSA, started in admin, then worked for Philips Lighting on the order desk and discovered that I was a, an amazing salesperson, went into advertising, then went into exhibitions and I did recruitment Oh my God, we well. are similar. Oh my yeah, God. I went into recruitment as well um, yeah. and advertising. Um, so it was advertising and exhibitions lots of drama in my past yeah and, and, and we are twins and we're twins we're twins yeah. and That's i love that i've heard the word rsa in a long time but you're right it was rsa all yeah and i love my shorthand i really enjoyed yeah. that and uh so you know very very sort of similar and um um, I'm just having a look at this, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just having a look at time and what we're doing. And, and you're so good at, at giving me information that you're filling in some of the questions already. So there's no, I'm not going to repeat yeah. those. I can talk. No, no, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, okay, so you were diagnosed at 51. And so many people are on really, it's just, you know, my clients um, who they're coming to me with anxiety and different traits. And then I'm observing, I mean, obviously I don't assess or diagnose, but I say, have you ever thought you, at the end when the time is right, have you ever thought you might be ADHD and off we go on the yeah. journey. But this very, very long waiting list to get assessed and, um, assessed and diagnosed, it's horrendous. So what was your diagnosis journey like? And you've, I think you mentioned earlier or may have, it may have been before that you're combined. Just tell me a little bit about that well, assessment there diagnosis is a, there journey. There is a story to that. Um, I went, first of all, this counsellor said, go home and Google it. I went home and Googled it and my entire life made sense. I knew from that second I was ADHD. I was everything. Everything on that list was me. Yeah. So 
I went to my GP and twice I was knocked back by two different GPs who said the exact same words. There's no money in the NHS for adult ADHD. So I went back to my counsellor. She said, go private then. So I went up to see a chap in London. I was living in Poole in Dorset at the time. Went up to London to see this supposed ADHD specialist who spent two and a half hours with me. Um, And at the end of it, he said, you can't be ADHD because you weren't diagnosed as a child. So I went back down to Dorset. That's what he said. You cannot be ADHD because you were not diagnosed as a child. So I went back down to Dorset and I said to my supervisor, I'm not ADHD. Sorry, she was my counsellor at the time. I'm not ADHD. We we carried on talking for a couple of minutes and she said these now famous words. I hope you're okay with it. A mild swear word here. I don't think it's a swear word even. No, it's okay. She actually said, Sarah, she said, I'm sorry, but this is bollocks. You are ADHD. You've got to go somewhere else. Yeah. So by this time, I'd gone onto some websites, some Facebook groups, and I'd I'd been making notes of all my traits because once I was starting to realize what you know what ADHD is, yes. and I, I wrote four sheets, typed up four sheets of ADHD traits under yeah. all the headings, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd found on these Facebook groups somebody recommended an ADHD specialist psychiatrist, and I booked to see him. He was in yeah. Essex at the time. I a dear man, but I think he's retired now. But I sent him these pa- this paperwork in advance. And I said, you might want to have a look at this before I arrive, or you might not, but here it is. Yeah. Anyway, he rang me the night before and I was in Poole. He was in Essex. He said, Sarah, don't make the trip tomorrow. He said, I've just read all this. He said, it's screamingly obvious you're ADHD. What's your doctor playing at? And I said, well, he just won't refer me. He said, right, leave it to me. And this man, he didn't charge me a penny. Wow. He wrote to my doctor. He wrote and he said, what are you playing at? This girl is obviously ADHD. He did ask me a couple of questions. He said, right, that rules out bipolar. He said, you're definitely ADHD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then my doctor, with a kick up the bottom yeah. from a private psychiatrist, referred me to a hospital five miles up the road. Bearing in mind I was in Poole. This hospital was in between Poole and Bournemouth, where yeah. there was an adult ADHD psychiatrist. I went and sat in front of him three months later and he took one look at me, just yeah. a look and said, well, I don't think you're ADHD just by looking at me. No. And I said, I said, well, do you mind just looking at that paperwork? I've, I've written four, you know, there's loads yeah. of paperwork there, same, the same four sheets. He looked down sheet one, turned the paper to the top of sheet two and went, oh yeah, okay, you obviously are ADHD. And that was my diagnosis. I worked out I was ADHD. But the funny thing was, down there, I was diagnosed with inattentive ADHD. Now, it meant nothing to me at the time because I knew so little about ADHD, Mm. inattentive. When I then moved back up to Bucks, which is where I was from and where I really lived, I was only in Dorset temporarily, but I was back in Bucks. And I said, here's my ADHD diagnosis on my NHS headed paper. They said, oh, we're not going to acknowledge that. We need you to be assessed and diagnosed again. I said, excuse me. That's I said, incredible. is that I said, is that not a bit of a waste of money with all due respect? I've yeah. just had this, you know, I've had this within months down in Dorset. That's yeah. NHS headed paper there. Yeah. They went, no, you and in the in the end, I, I was going to argue it, but I thought, no, because you come back to Bucks, you're now working with more and more ADHD clients, go through the process up here. So I went through the whole process up here and was diagnosed with moderate to severe combined ADHD. I then said to the psychologist who diagnosed me, I said, that's funny because I was diagnosed with inattentive ADHD down in Dorset. And I've since done a lot of research. There's no way I am inattentive ADHD. Now, the NHS psychologist said to me, she said, 
oh, that's because we've got lazy, Sarah. We diagnose adults with inattentive ADHD because we assume they've outgrown the hyperactivity. And women as well, because some, somewhere in, in some manual, they said, no, it's only boys that get hyperactive and girls. Well, that's very, that's very insulting to those of us girls. That I know. Got both. And, but and I, it I thought it was quite fascinating that it was an NHS psychologist saying to me, the NHS have got lazy. We diagnosed all women with inattentive ADHD, having assumed you've outgrown the hyperactivity. But she diagnosed me with combined. And I know I'm combined. Now I know about ADHD. I know I'm off the scale combined. I've got it all going on. Yeah, you know? me too. And, yeah. uh, and I haven't gone for formal um, diagnosis for ADHD because I don't know. I don't need to. I know what I am. Um, mm. I have for my autism because as a psychotherapist, I, I wanted the bit of paper for that. But I'm not going to bother with ADHD. And I don't, for me personally, I don't take meds. I just no. try and you know I've lived 56 years and I just have to sort of practice what I preach so that's mm. pr that's pretty that's a pretty big journey that you've had and a difficult yeah. one but so I was determined because once you find out well for me because I've spent I, I was 50 nearly 50 52 there just coming up 52 I had spent 52 years being told I talk too quick I interrupt people I fidget I don't sit still in theatres I'm con I, I was I was constantly buying houses, buying cars, buying businesses, yes. changing businesses. I was exhausted, you know, and yeah. I, I kind of wanted to know if there was a reason for all of this. Yeah. And for, for me, and I know everybody's different. Some people yes. don't need the diagnosis, you know, for some, they just do not need it. Yeah. For me, it was critical. Yeah. I wanted to know exactly why I was the way I was, why my mother has been the way she's been with me all my life. You know, she's constantly criticised me all the time because yeah. I've not been this neat, tidy pretty little girl in twin sets and pearls I've been this tomboy thumping around dropping dinner down me falling over breaking things shouting talking I've been all the things that I my mother hadn't wanted me to be and I wanted to know why I wanted but what to about know your mum and dad you know being over 80 percent uh genetic massively uh, well what about it, it's, in your it's family? my dad it came from my dad 100 percent. my dad died when he was 23 of cardiac oh. which again can be linked to adhd because they're getting oh. very stressed yeah, yeah 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 so my dad was overweight was yeah. um a womanizer had loads of affairs changed jobs all the time changed his car all the time was the life and soul of the party 100 percent, it came from my dad and 100 percent, it came from his mum she was exactly the same but interestingly in my family my mother has been divorced four times only my mother could have married two ADHD men with the different kinds. So I have a brother from the same mom with a different dad, and he's very inattentive ADHD. Oh. So my brother, who's 11 years younger than me, is highly, very, very severely inattentive ADHD, and I'm very combined. So my poor old mother has got two kids with both. It's very confusing for a woman in her 80s to understand that these two kids who are polar opposites can both have this condition called ADHD. It's blown her mind. It is. You can just about right. accept that I had it, but not him as well. No, you know, and it's and it's horrible. Um, what 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 I've discovered now because I've, I've lost both my parents have gone, but what mm. I thought was, uh, I mean, I forgive them and everything else. It was there were some tough tough times. There was some really tough mm. times. But the thing was, uh, my father was uh, neurotypical. But he uh, he he'd been in the navy. He was a commando. His name was Beverly. So he had big. Muscles. My dad was in the navy. We really are twins. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, 
And, and he was a bit of a narcissist. He was a bit controlling and a bully, but an absolute charmer to everyone else in the world. But what used to happen is because my mum, who I'm not sure if she was autistic ADHD, and it doesn't matter now because she's not here. But the mm. thing is, is that she couldn't handle my behaviours and, and the way I was. So she'd pass me over to my dad. And that was the worst thing to ever do because he was neurotypical and didn't understand me. And that was that was very hard. And if you had um, a neurotypical mum, uh, do you mind me asking? It's not on the questions. You don't have to if you don't want to. But how how was that for you? It was blooming hard. I do think my mum is neurotypical. Um, my supervisor, as well, my supervisor is utterly convinced she's a narcissist. Um, and and here we go. Uh, yeah, utterly convinced she's a narcissist. And but not ADHD, I don't think. But we think all three children are ADHD. Yeah. But for me, it was very, very difficult because I live with my mum. So when I live, w- live with my mum, but that my mum my and dad split up when I was five. And I used to spend a lot of time with my dad. I saw him every week, you know. And when I was with my dad, all I can say is that everything was easy. You know, he, he wanted to eat loads of chocolate as well. He wanted to slob out on the te- on the sofa and watch the telly. He would stay up late. He would do all these things that I did. He bit his nails even. I bit my nails. Yeah. Everything, everything with my mum was hard work yeah. because I was never neat enough for her. I was never quiet no. enough. I was constantly hearing you should be seen and not heard. Can oh. you imagine an ADHD kid wanting to be seen and not heard? <laughs> yeah. I was clomping around with the dyspraxia, yeah. wanting to talk or constantly what knowing that feeling that I knew best she would always be shouting me why do you think you know best about everything I don't know why I thought best but I did think I knew best and now I know it's an ADHD trait so for me the whole relationship with my mum was just one battle from day one and it still is I'm 58 now it's still the same we you know she's still I'm still don't have my hair the way she likes it she doesn't like the fact I've grown my fringe out she doesn't like the color of my hair she's been critical my whole life my mum it's so hard because I'm just not what she wants no and 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 it is traumatizing and it is difficult and when they're both gone there is relief uh quite frankly Mm. and love them to bits and everything else my mum is just down there in a bamboo and hi mum um Mm. anyway so um we're just going to march on if that's okay because I'm looking yep. at the time and we've got an yep. hour and I want to make sure we get it all in because you've got loads yep. of stuff so um again thank you so many ADHD folks have difficulties with the transmission of dopamine and feel a great need to be and um, well they are impulsive leading to addictions and in the past I had a drinking problem I smoked cigarettes and um I was pretty bad I've, I am pretty bad with carbs and sugar sugar oh my god I I think I need to d- see a specialist particularly about sugar and spending so addictions come in many forms and uh, when mental health challenges are mixed in with them we can really struggle so what's been your uh, personal experience with addiction if any and do you find your clients come to you with similar negative habits or are there a whole range of different addictions that they come to you with well mine are pretty much the same as yours mine has been food and sugar I spent my entire life trying to diet and trying to lose weight and doing very, very well, and then it would all go to pot. And I now look back and realise that was because as long as I was dieting and being sensible, I was fine. But then if I'd have one Mars bar, I would eat eight. Yeah. Now, I, I now realise that was the, the old dopamine in the brain, the brain going, yes, we like that, we'll have a bit more of that, thank you very much. Mm. And that was the compulsive eating. So I, I felt I had no control over myself, and that's why I hated myself a lot of my life. And it's interesting because a lot of my friends used to say to me, Sarah, you're a really strange person because you achieve everything you want. There's nothing you don't do. Yeah. And you will not be told what to do. You're totally in charge of everything. 
you achieve everything but the one thing you can't do anything about is your weight and it perplexed me as well yeah. but when I was diagnosed ADHD I was like oh my god that's why so when I was diagnosed ADHD I think I was at my highest then I got to the point where I was a size 24, but I wasn't really 24, but I would not buy bigger than a 24. So yeah. I used to buy 24s that were elasticated because I yeah. wouldn't go bigger. I, if truth be told, I was probably about a 26, maybe even a 28 in dress yeah. size. Yeah. However, went on the ADHD meds, st- all the binge eating stopped, and uh, I'm now in size 14 to 16s. And I don't wow. really, want, I don't really want to be much smaller because, well, you know, when you get to my age, you get a bit scraggy. So no, I'm, no, I'm very happy. I, I keep doing that oh, in the mirror, trying me, to push me. my I'm, I'm ready up. for the neck lift. Yeah. I know. I'm anyway, I don't care. About, I'm fed up with that now. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm 57 in March, um, but I don't like um, odd numbers, and so I'm not going to be 57 in March. I'm going to be 58, and then I'm not going to be 59. I'm going to be 60. So, um, so do you want me to answer the second part? Of your yeah, I was just going to say, people? what do you yeah. think about so your my, clients? My, Are my, they well, my addictions were most definitely food and buying things. That's why yeah. I had no control. So I used to buy, 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 buy. I still have deliveries from Amazon every single day. Yeah. Um, and and food. They were my big addictions. Yeah. I did go through a drinking patch in my 20s, especially when I was in Australia. But really, I've, I've always swerved drugs because I'm frightened. I, you know, I'm the person that would take ecstasy once and drop dead. I know. Yeah. So I've, I've always swerved drugs. I've never done it. Mm-hmm. And, but I have done alcohol a bit, especially in my 20s. And it did get a bit out of hand. I was drinking a box of wine a day when I was in Australia. I think this is not good. So I don't drink at all now. But the clients I see with addiction is very, very interesting. A lot of the women, it's food. Um, a lot of the men, it's alcohol. I was generalizing terribly here, but I would say yeah. a lot of the men, it's, it's alcohol. Yeah. A lot of the women, it's food. And then there's a lot of crossovers. I've also seen a good few clients where promiscuity Yes. in its various forms has been destroying them because all the ones I've worked with have been in very good relationships and very in love with their partner yeah. but their risk-taking and thrill-seeking around promiscuity has been putting things massively at risk and I've had a lot of people with that I've also worked with gamblers a fair yeah. few people with. I've worked with some gamblers who've lost everything houses wives cars children everything lost a lot and ended up homeless and on the streets so I've seen from the gambling side as well I've worked with a good few of them Um, but I would say on the whole when it's ADHD and addiction more people I work with it's food it's shopping it's alcohol and drugs and promiscuity they're the main ones that I see that's so thank you so much I mean that is so interesting that is and I'm seeing the same. So mm. it's reflected in my in my mm. therapy room. I'm seeing the same as well. And promiscuity. Yeah, I was very promiscuous. Um, you know, apart from the fact I had 25 jobs, you know, loads and loads of jobs. I was yeah. all, also promiscuous. But it never hurt me because it was like a dopamine thing, really. And uh, yeah. but now I've been married uh, 25 years next year. And I've wow. been completely magnanimous. I'm like a wandering, uh, wandering albatross. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm different now. But I had uh, certainly sowed the old wild oats. So, yeah. um, this is the question I was very interested in asking you, please. And uh, I want to ask you about this and about what you're, you know, what you're doing work-wise at the moment. But um, I understand that there are so, so many people, young people and adults in the prison population who are thought to, you know, who do have, not thought to have, they they have got ADHD. And I know that this is something close to your heart. And I'd like you, if you would, to tell us about that. Tell us about 
what stats you have and, and, and what work you did within prisons and youth institutions, Sarah? Okay, well, it started because I started working with the homeless as a volunteer. That, that led into working with different charities who work with ex-offenders. I loved it and I decided I wanted to work in a prison. So I started to volunteer in a prison and I loved it. I could never understand why I got on so brilliantly with these offenders. It, I always explained it was like it was like magic. Some magic happened between me and all of them. I, I love them and they love me. I had no idea why. Yeah. Then fast forward, I got diagnosed and I was working in Aylesbury Prison at that time, which is a young offender institute. Over a year, I had six clients. Of those six boys, three of them were diagnosed ADHD as children, but were not on medication. Of the other three, I think one of them probably wasn't ADHD. The other two, I've got diagnosed ADHD since they've come out. Wow. So five out of six clients were ADHD. What I've, I've, I've worked in four prisons. I don't know the exact numbers. What makes me very angry, though, is people who pretend they do. People who say, oh, it's 30 percent of people in prison. How do they know that? Because yeah. most of these people in prison haven't got a clue they've got ADHD. What yeah. they will tell you is, and I've had cl many clients say this to me, I think differently, Sarah. I've got a different brain to everybody else. I don't think like other people. Yeah. That's one of the boys that I've just got diagnosed. Other, you know, loads and loads of them. So I will not put a figure on it, but there's one figure that I do use. On one of the ADHD adult Facebook groups, there's a, a lady who's a mental health nurse and has worked in prisons for 20 years. So she knows now, what she's talking about. She knows, about. yeah. Now, whenever somebody puts up, oh, there's 30%, you know, and, and she and I get on these threads and go, no, yeah, it's yeah. masses more than that. Mm. She always says, look, I've been a mental health nurse in the prison service for 20 years. I estimated 85%. Wow. Yeah, and I always say to her, you know, I bow to you because you've seen way more of them than I have, but I've worked in four prisons. I would say in Young Offenders Institute, if somebody forced me to put a figure on it, in Young Offender Institutes, I'd say it's a good 80, 85%. That's incredible. I think, I think as, as you get older into adult prisons, you get some of the different crimes. You get the fraud and you get, you know, the, the yes. non-naughty yeah, yeah, non yeah. stuff. Do you know what I mean? The cleverer stuff, the cyber crime and all that. Yeah. I think the ratio comes down in adult prisons. And I would put it at somewhere around, if I had to put a figure on it, somewhere around about 60, 70 percent, something like that. It's still a heck of a lot of them. And the interesting thing is as well, it's the same with women. We forget the women that are in prison. Yes. But when I, when I worked for Smart Addiction Services, they had a, a service where everybody, all the women coming out of prison came there, first of all, to get their script and, yeah. get, you know, blah, blah. Mm. Every female that I saw coming out of prison in the whole year that I worked there, every single one of them was ADHD, all those girls. So and that's you know, remarkable. We, and that, yeah. and, and I, I'm so, I, I'm so, I, I feel so good that you've been able to tell me that because as advocates and, and justice and trying to do something, we have got to absolutely, with those sort of figures, we've got to get to Parliament. We've got to rattle, you know, like you imagine prison bars. We've got to rattle these cages and say, what the hell are you doing? You know, and going right back to grassroots, right back to parents, to school and everything else. We can't have all these people that are not diagnosed and looked after and supported and perhaps medicalised, whatever they need to just leave the educate, well, if, if they've had an education system, just going straight into prisons. I mean, that's just horrendous, isn't it, Sarah? Well, it, it, it's the thing that makes me very angry, which is why I've, I've 
I've got two companies. I've got a therapy company. I've got another one called Headstuff ADHD Liberty. Headstuff yeah. ADHD Liberty is all about keeping people out of prison. And we've now set up a charity called ADHD Liberty. And we do exactly what you've just said. We are campaigning at government level. And we within the charity, we have a new, oh, this is a story you'll love, a neuro consultant rang me up from the John Radcliffe Hospital about a year ago. She said, are you the Sarah Templeton that's angry about the ADHD in prisons? I said, yep, that's me, why? <laughs> she said, because she said, I'm a neuro consultant at the John Radcliffe Hospital. I'm getting numerous boys brought in here from the prisons, the same boys over and over and over and over again. And she said, yeah. I've just begun to realise they're all ADHD. And she said, I went and asked my powers that be, bearing in mind she's a neuro consultant, she's quite high anyway. Yes. She went and asked her superiors if she could diagnose these boys because she's allowed to she's yeah. qualified to and she was told and i quote no they're not worth it oh. because they're because they're offenders right <gasps> but she was so angry she rang me up and she had a rant down the phone for an yes. hour and i said i agree with everything you say in love 100 so she's part of my charity now i've also got two adhd psychiatrists who are passionate about the situation in prisons i've got two wait for this serving metropolitan police officers who are both adhd both Good. know that all the people coming in their police stations are ADHD and yeah. they're with me on the charity. I've got numerous uh, prison officers, prison uh, probation officers. All these people know that the prisons are packed to the rafters with ADHD. Yeah. I made a speech at the Houses of Parliament about three years ago, before COVID, in front of the Justice Minister. Yeah. And I said, look, this is ridiculous and it's so easy to change. All you've got to do is test them on the induction wings for ADHD. And when they first go into a prison, tick box thing, 10 questions, bang, bang, bang. If they answer enough of them, it's worth pursuing the ADHD thing. The Justice Minister was fully for it he said i totally agree so he said I've, I've got a diagnosed adhd son sarah i'm totally yeah. behind you on this he said yes. i can see him going down this route if we're not careful yeah. i'm totally up for it but then covid hit and it all stopped so yes. we're starting it again now with the neuro consultant with the psychiatrist with the police we're going back to government saying this has got to change there are other people that have tried to do this i know it's difficult but you know they've given up because for whatever reason yes. i am not giving up no. i swore when i left the prison service in 2016 i would not forget all those tens of thousands of boys trapped behind bars because no. they've not got the right diagnosis and the right meds i got very can i tell you one more quick story yes please do very yes quick. One of my Portland prison boys who was screaming ADHD, when he got out of prison, I was in contact with his probation and I rang his probation one day and I said, look, I said, you, your job is to keep him out of prison. He's been in and out. He's 33, been in yeah. and out constantly. I said, your job's to keep him out of prison. I'm going to tell you how to do that. Yeah. He's severely ADHD. He needs a diagnosis. He needs meds and he'll stop. Now that probation, which shall remain nameless, I don't know how they got them, but they got two weeks worth of ADHD meds. They gave that boy the ADHD meds. Yes. He rang me up during that fortnight and he said, Sarah, he said, I can't guarantee this, but I think if I'd been on these meds all my life, I don't think I'd have committed any of those crimes because I feel completely different. Yeah. 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 then the ADHD meds ran out and he got put in prison for the crime that he'd just done. However, me and his probation pushed for Bristol ADHD Centre to go into Bristol prison and diagnose him, which he is now diagnosed and he's on the meds. So we are making a difference in tiny, tiny, tiny ways. Yes. But this needs to be blanket. It needs to be every police station needs to have an ADHD and an ASD test. 
very yeah. quick tick box test yeah yes and, yeah. and they also need to be tested on induction wings which takes 10 minutes on induction wings in prisons they sit there for a fortnight they're bored stupid they can't go to gym they can't go to education they can't go to work they can't have visits they sit yeah. there for a fortnight all they do is english test math test um sti hearing no. yeah, yeah, yeah they sit they're bored stupid so as i said to the justice minister give them an adhd test you're testing them for all these things they haven't got the one thing nearly all of them have got you're not testing them for and it yeah. takes 10 minutes and he said right you're yeah, absolutely but then covid hit so we've just had to start again and we've got I, a big meeting on the 23rd of february with the charity this is what we're pushing for and, and i testing. wish you for, for that sarah honestly all the absolute best and if you're going if you're marching i'll be there i'll absolutely be there yeah come um, that's join amazing us because, it's you know, amazing very what you're doing about this They're no, very, I, a, I can hear you you are you're very passionate yeah. So we've got about 10 minutes and, and yep. I want to make sure because I only, we only get the hour and I yep. want to make sure that we don't forget the other part of what you've been doing and uh, spending time on that, really, because um, I, you know, I discovered that um, you'd written the book, How Not to Murder Your Kids, Your ADHD Kid. And yep. um, like everything, I've read about two thirds of it. I'm not very good at getting to the end of anything, but I get the crux of it. But it's a very, very, very um, good book. And it and I I found a lot of things for me that um really helped and certainly for my clients and i know that you um you you did the narration for the audio book and it's also on kindle please can you um actually if you do five minutes for this and five minutes on a question which i'm not going to ask you the same question i ask other people because i want to okay. ask you a different question okay uh, five minutes please tell us all about the book what's it okay about? Well, it I, I wrote the book because of all these boys in prison i thought how do i stop this this is absolutely ludicrous and i thought it goes right back to the parenting it yeah. goes right back to getting the parents to understand their adhd brains that they're not just naughty little shits that they they do genuinely think they know best they do genuinely risk take thrill seek they don't think of the consequences they are impulsive they are compulsive if i could get the parents to understand that this is their adhd and not to fight it and try and knock it out of them yeah but to understand it and work with them so i wrote this book and it says on the back that sarah has worked in four english prisons and been dismayed at the amount of adhd behind bars the book is to stop that the yeah. book is to help parents understand their kids brains and to work with them not against them and i'm deeply deeply humiliate humiliate the wrong word humbled the right yes. word humbled by so many parents who said this has changed our life at home this has transformed our family home because that's what i wanted i wanted to stop the battles i wanted to stop the screaming and the and the taking everything off them and the punishing them and then they're getting worse and then fists yeah. going through walls and televisions being kicked in and all this if you understand their adhd brain and work with them none of that happens and if you take away the, all the things that they kick against they won't be going out there nicking cars and thinking, right, sod you, mother, I'm going out tonight and I'm getting drunk and I'm going to go nick stuff and all this. Because if mum is on side and understands the brain and gives them the adrenaline in the proper way. So, you know, one of my clients, uh, one of my clients, my supervisor actually said they were, they were very wealthy. She said, buy a boat. Take him boating every weekend. Get him out on the sea. You know, and it worked. Yes. Because if the parents understand that they do need that adrenaline, they do need excitement, give it to them in a good way rather than a get, going out, nicking cars, getting into trouble way. So I wrote the book really to try and get to the parents early enough for them to understand the kids' brains so they don't go off the rails when they hit 10, 11, 12. That's why I wrote it. 
And it is helping because I've had so many parents say, I get it now. I so get why he's like he is and I don't react the way I used to. And, and, and I've got, you know, happier households and people saying that it's transformed their life at home. That's why I wrote it. And the reason and it's so good is because it's so, so practical and it's and it's absolutely um well, it's authentic. It's there's no condescension. It's it's you understand because you've had the experience. You now know that, you know, the way you were when you were a kid was because of that. And and you've read a lot and you've researched it. You know what you're talking about. You've got the experience. You've got 55 therapists that had stuff. Um, you know, you, you've done so much. And, and like you listen to the person with 20 years experience, people listen to people who know what they're talking about. There's no point in having a master's and a PhD and swallowed a thousand dictionaries if you actually <laughs> haven't been in the cold face and you don't know what you're talking about. And, yeah. and I will absolutely say, and I'm going to blow your trumpet for you, if you are ADHD, if you think you're ADHD, if you're a parent with ADHD kids, you need to go out and buy How Not to Murder Your ADHD Kid. It's an Amazon. Go and get it and absolutely do that. And um, what, you know, I do ask uh, my, um, uh, my podcast guests this sort of sort of roundy sort of umbrella type of neurodivergent question but actually you've given me so much food for thought and you would have definitely given our listeners so much food for thought i have a question uh, for you and um, and i hope you're happy to answer it now the thing is is i'm a really anthropologist paleoanthropology i'm really into the human race and the human being as we are and I'm very aware that there's nine million well heading towards eventually nine million people going to be on the planet is about 7.8 at the moment when there should really only be a billion there should only be 1.3 billion so there's there's so much population and so many people in small places and so much sensory and the environment and everything else happening so what we're doing not just people going into the prison system, but generally speaking, you know, I've read Ed Halliwell's book. Um, I One of the first things I did was I went on YouTube for Thomas E. Brown to find out from him. And I listened to all these people and I know that there is medication that is helping people when their traits of ADHD are becoming too much, they're overwhelming and it calms people down. Isn't it a shame though that we're not able to do this in society. We're not able to go back to grassroots and parents and everything else and, and try and do it without medication. It's brilliant. I know it's brilliant that we've got the medication to help people, but how are we, if we don't go the medication route, how are we, Sarah, going to talk to parents and talk to society and there might be an alternative. What, what message have you got to society to help people who are wired differently? Because that's all it is. We're just a different tribe. We're wired well, differently. Well, yeah, I hear you. I mean, uh, that's, that's a question I could answer for about an hour because I'm a big believer in, medica believer in medication, yes, especially yeah. for children. Yeah. I see medication as putting the, the, the orange protector thing round children. Yeah. It does, it massively helps. Yeah. But... I, I mean, I do often say that I wish I could live in an ADHD world where everybody was ADHD, where we all drove at 100 miles an hour and we all pushed each other out. You know, I, 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 I think the answer to that question is it's such a boring phrase, but genuinely raising awareness, making yeah. people know what 
you can do and can't do what I, I was married to um, a husband for 10 years who had ASD we know he was ASD he wasn't yes. diagnosed 100% he was it was in his family and had I known that throughout those 10 years it would have helped I didn't know right till the end I would have understood me a lot better and I look back now and think if I'd have had that knowledge I'd have done so many things so differently yeah and I think genuinely raising awareness it's such a boring phrase but I really mean it people need to know what's going on in the prisons that's awareness they need to know that most of these boys are not if they would sit and talk to them for half an hour they'd fall in love with all of them they're lovely lovely boys Mm. but can they stop nicking cars and getting into fights and can they keep their tenancies no and do they want a bit of weed to calm their brain down yes And, and we mustn't judge them for that that is no. how they were born. There's a there's an awful lot more ADHD people in the world than we think. There's yes. an awful lot more ADHD people than there are ASD people. ASD people get a lot of good press and ADHD people get a lot of bad press. Mm. There's 10 times more people with ADHD than there are with ASD, very approximately, because you can't put figures on it because yeah. we don't know. Mm. Um, and yet we get a very bad press. We are not naughty people. On the whole, we are very kind, caring people with more compassion. We've got more drive, more commitment. With Hollywood is full of us. Comedians, most comedians are ADHD. All entrepreneurs are ADHD. There needs to be awareness of that. You know, ADHD doesn't mean, I do a lot of presentations and I always say ADHD doesn't mean you're just a send kid. ADHD also means you're probably going to be a multimillionaire, that you're going to be an entrepreneur, that you're going to win at whatever you do. You're going to be Lewis Hamilton. You're yes. going to be, you know, you're going to be all these winners. You're going to be Ant McPartlin. You can reach for the skies with ADHD and you will get there. This is the other thing I always say is that we don't walk the middle path. You don't find people with ADHD who've worked for the council for 30 years. They're, we're either in no. prison or we're an entrepreneur, you yeah. know, because we, we do everything to the extreme. But understand us and more of us will be out there in business in sport i've got one example is i've got three of my naughtiest teenagers and i mean naughty all three have been arrested uh, at least once all three of them one's now training to be a doctor one a lawyer and one a professional footballer because they're now all diagnosed they all came to see me for therapy i told them you can go down that path love if you want but wouldn't it be far better to be successful because you've got that choice as well and they've all now chosen to be doctor, lawyer and footballer. And that's my big my big thing is and that that's, you know, raise awareness that we are we are we're good and we're successful. And 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 yes, raising awareness. But you are doing bucketfuls of the other A word, buckets and buckets full throughout your life. It's raising awareness. Yes but it's taking action as well. And you are doing that every day. It's your raison d'etre, you know, you, you're doing it every day. You're taking action every day to get things changed. And Sarah, what can I say? Um, you have taught me so much about how ADHD can be different. You've, t- you've told our listeners about what to look out for, what the real figures are, you know, positive, positive things that can really move society forward about understanding ADHD and other areas within neurodivergence, because many of us are, you know, have, um, I hate the word comorbidities, but we have, we're oh, a existing salad. conditions. Yeah, well, yeah. We have a, we're a fruit salad. We have lots of things. We're different yeah. spectrums with many traits. I'd like to thank you so, so much for coming onto the podcast today. It's been incredible. And I wish you every success for the way forward and the awareness and action you're taking. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Great pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm very grateful. Thank you. And I know that we're going to be talking afterwards. Thanks again, Sarah Templeton.
Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to the Neurodivergence and Mental Health podcast. Links and resources will be at the end in the show notes. I very much look forward to meeting you again. Thanks for listening. Bye.